Hello, I am Joel McLeod, and welcome to the 905er. It is Pride Month, and for the past few years, it seems that this month has turned into a battleground in schools over LGBTQ plus acceptance. Followers of this podcast are familiar with our coverage of the Pride Flag debates that happened in the Halton Catholic School Board over the past year on whether or not that the flag should be raised at those schools. In the end, the board did vote to raise the flag. We had honestly thought that that would be the end of the debate in our schools and that it would spell a tide for other Catholic schools to pass similar votes and we would, we would see the pride flag flown at other schools across the 905 in Ontario at large for Pride Month. How wrong we were. Since that debate, a movement has grown to remove LGBTQ plus affirming symbols from Catholic schools. Back in May, the York Catholic School Board had a very public and viscerous debate on whether or not to raise the pride flag at its schools. In the end, the board voted not to showcase the flag at its schools, leaving many to ponder if the YCDSB was indeed a safe place for LGBTQ plus students and staff. Both stories have led to a broader discussion about the need for a separate publicly funded school system which caters to only one religion especially within a multicultural society such as Canada. The LGBTQ plus community has faced dis discrimination and persecution for so long and have worked to recognize a great many rights and freedoms over the generations. So the question for many is, why would we allow public tax dollars to fund a system which seemingly isn't willing to accept a part of Canadian society within its walls? The counter argument is usually that it is within the Constitution, the BNA Act, specifically that made the compromise for Catholics to have a separate school system in, back in 1867. However, it should be pointed out that Ontario is only one of three provinces to have a publicly funded Catholic school system, that many provinces have taken active steps to ensure that they have only one public school system for all of their citizens. So is it time for Ontario to step up and make the change to a more egalitarian school system? Our guest today thinks so. David Moskrop joins us to discuss an opinion piece he wrote for TV Ontario, arguing for the ending of the Catholic school system in Ontario. David is a writer on political topics for numerous publications. He authors a substack on a variety of political topics, has authored the book, Too Dumb for Democracy, hosts two podcasts, has a PhD in political science from the University of British Columbia, and is himself a product of the Catholic education system. He joins us today to explain his argument for ending Catholic education in Ontario. Okay, well, thank you to uh, David Moskrop for coming on to the 905er uh, to talk about the contentious issue about uh, Catholic school board funding in the province of Ontario. David, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I, this might seem a bit of a, a context to our listeners, but this has actually been kind of, we've been going back and forth over this for a while. And this kind of stemmed from an op-ed that you published on TVO, basically calling for the end of Catholic school board funding uh, in Ontario. And rather than me trying to sum it up painfully and, and awkwardly, I thought, why not just ask you directly? Can you kind of maybe summarize for our listeners what your, your argument was in that, uh, that op-ed? So the, the 
moment, the event that spurred it this time, because it's an argument I've made before, was the battle in York over the trustee decision not to fly the pride flag. And it's a battle that pops up semi-regularly in the separate school system. So it's not a new thing. And it pops up in different forms, whether it's a pride flag or uh, gay straight alliance uh, clubs and schools or teacher hiring or educated programming, education programming, whatever it might be. And I use that as a jumping off point to make a fundamental philosophical argument, which was if we were going to have a public thing, which is to say a thing that belongs to all of us, that I pay for, that you pay for, that all of us pay for collectively, because that's what this is. It's not a separate funding thing where you choose where your money goes. It's a per enrollment thing. We all pay for this. If we're going to have that public thing, then it ought to adhere to public values. And we have decided collectively that those values include support for recognition of and respect for the LGBTQ2S plus community and those who are part of it. And so if a board is going to use public funding and public support to undermine those public values, uh, then we ought not to publicly support it anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that there are, we, we've, this kind of stemmed from, uh, if you're a listener to this podcast, you know that we've covered the the HCDSB pride flag debate when that went on for, for just over a year uh, on this podcast. And this argument popped up again during that debate. A lot of um, people are saying, well, why are we funding this if like, this shouldn't even be on, on the table for a, a school board to debate? Um, but the counter argument we heard was always, you know, the, the thing we heard from a number of trustees was the denominational rights of Catholics to have their own publicly funded school board. And I've always, that phrase denominational rights always irked me because I don't think it's a real thing. Um, it's a, it's in the, in the, the BNA act of 1867, basically they said, okay, in Ontario and Quebec, you basically have to provide schooling for either the Protestants in Quebec or the, the Catholics in Ontario as a compromise to get the whole thing going. There's nothing about, you know, Catholics have some kind of innate divine right to publicly funded education in Ontario. And it, as somebody who's who's done far deeper dive into the research on this, am I correct in in assuming that that's that's malarkey? That's that's not a thing. Well, the denominational rights argument is a good explanation and a bad argument. First of all, so if you say, "Well, why do we have Catholic schools?" and someone says, "Well, denominational rights in the Constitution," that's not an argument. That's an explanation. That's saying this thing exists. Uh, because of a political trajectory that was initiated actually far earlier than the BNA Act, but it was mm-hmm. solidified with the BNA Act in 1867 as a political compromise to protect minority Catholics in Upper and Lower Canada. Fine. Uh, that indeed may have made very, very good sense at the time, just like one-room schoolhouses made good sense. In 1867, we don't do one-room schoolhouses anymore for good reason. We've we've moved past that. Uh, fast forward to to now, uh, if someone says, "Well, look, it's it's a religious right protected by the Constitution," and then you say, "Okay, well, um, then why did Quebec get rid of it, and why did Newfoundland and Labrador get rid of it in the 1990s?" Obviously, that right is subject to change. It's not immutable because it's been changed. 
Uh, so we have a hard time explaining why you ought to keep it when others have gotten rid of it but for the broadly the same reasons we've already pointed out plus they often sort of say well it's you know it also is good for efficiencies you'll save a bunch of money mm-hmm. and there's reports and data on that i have some problems with that argument so i sort of set that aside but so but but it's an argument that's made and made fair fairly enough um so the denominational argument uh, for one is is not a an argument it's an explanation it's rooted in the past and it's mutable because you can uh, amend the, dom- the the constitutional denomination bit uh, with a bilateral agreement between the federal government and the province in question, in this case, Ontario. You could do it tomorrow if um, the, the province had the political will and interest in doing so. I, and I find that's interesting because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the only two provinces in Ontario, sorry, in Canada that have a Catholic, uh, publicly funded Catholic system is Ontario and Alberta. If I'm not mistaken, and or, or, I, I think Saskatchewan, uh, someone else has okay. my Saskatchewan. There, there's a few, but but also, you know, it's also worth noting that the 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 constitutional provision is also itself incomplete because it was the Bill Davis government uh, in the 1980s right. that made amendments, including a push for for equitable funding for the catholic side so it's not like we have in for since the the founding of ontario as ontario had these two co-equal separate systems i mean it, right. it the catholic system the separate system is a product of of history and, and political trajectory it wasn't sort of baked into 1867. well that, that and that, i'm glad you brought that up because that's the i, I think i'm going to argue probably about two generations now we've had a catholicly a publicly funded catholic system uh in ontario and there's kind of a sense like i i am a product of that i i went to a catholic school me too uh, yeah uh, we'll we'll come to that later because that there's a <laughs> there's another argument that i i find interesting about that uh that fact but it's kind of this assumption like oh it's always been here and that hasn't been the case like bill it was bill davis that really made the push uh, uh as an election promise to get the catholic vote to say, hey, you know, I'll fund a system for you guys. You give me your vote, and we'll 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 do it. And that's kind of how it came to be. It wasn't like this. There's always been this Catholic these this two separate funded school systems since Confederation. That's it's kind of a, what there's an assumption I think the public makes uh, on this topic. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, of course, you know, the the board has an interest in, in having you believe that too, the separate boards. So, uh, you know, there you go. Yeah. And uh, of course, you know, this is uh, such a fascinating uh, topic for a number of reasons, including the fact that um, as soon as we admit that it's contingent and mutable, then we can say, well, it can be otherwise. And it has been otherwise. And it's already evolved. So it can evolve furly, f- further. It, it's not something that's set it's so deeply in stone that we can't change the etching or or cover it up or blast the right. stone away altogether. It absolutely can be, and it has been done elsewhere. And to a certain extent, we've already proven that it's changeable because we've changed it. Um, and, and we've also proven that it's political in a small, in a capital P sense right. of, of being about navigating political waters. And if you doubt that for a second, go look at the history of Dalton McGinty talking about um, you know, denominational faith-based uh, legal avenues for uh, uh, for Muslims, mm-hmm. uh, and what happened when he tried to do that, uh, or John Tory 
talking well, about yeah. uh, funding uh, other separate faith-based schools, right? This idea that, well, no, faith-based education and faith-based legal processes are very, very important in Ontario. Right. Uh, okay. That's the Catholic argument. It's like, okay, fine. And then someone says, well, then let's extend it to Jewish folks, to Hindu folks, to Islamic folks, and so on. And then it's all, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, and then all of a sudden they run into a very, very difficult challenge, which is to say, mm-hmm. well, why shouldn't these folks have it too? And they can have these and say, well, no, because they're minorities. The, the response to that is, well, so were you in 1867. Or, well, it's not in the Constitution. And then the response to that is, well, then we'll take it out of the Constitution. And then nobody has it. I find that the John Tory story always strikes me as it's always the not the what people the proponents come back to see people don't want want this. But I remember when I was knocking. I, I used to work for a political party, and we'd knock on doors during that. I remember knocking on doors at that uh, election, and everyone said, "Yeah, it's a bad idea. Like we should, we shouldn't be dividing up the the public coffers for all these separate school boards." So I, I'm not going to vote for John Tory for that reason. But everyone, everyone always said, but why do we fund the Catholics? Mm-hmm. And that, everyone brought that up. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. We shouldn't be funding, you know, all these separate different school boards, just one school board. But, but why, do we, why do the Catholics get their own? And I didn't have an argument for that because it, it, was, it was something that inherently you just like we just know it kind of goes against our Canadian sensibilities of nobody gets preferential treatment ahead of anybody else in this country. And the idea that one religion um kind of gets a this you know the special treatment i think really does great on a lot of uh of people um, and it should and, and it should and i i which kind of brings me to the argument of like the effectiveness of catholic schools uh because i i i'm not going to speak for you but i'll speak for myself and my when i anecdotally when i go back to my um my my colleagues that i graduated Catholic school from, I would argue we're probably pretty bad Catholics. <laughs> I think if you want to talk about like following doctrine, because um, a lot of, I mean, a, a lot of people are pro LGBTQ plus issues. Some of them actually are members of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and there's no strict adherence to any kind of Catholic city dogma. And I look back, I kind of say, well, didn't the system kind of fail in that regard? Like, like if like, what's the point of a Catholic education system if the people coming out of it aren't die in the wool Catholics? Uh, well, that's that's a good question. I mean, I think if we have to take this in context, and the context is that the country is becoming increasingly godless, as many developed countries are and catholicism is growing in some parts of the world but in the northern part of the world it's it's in decline in structural mm-hmm. decline the catholic school in ontario at best is fighting a rear guard action at best it's trying to take in catholic students through the elementary system and preserve educate and preserve the their catholicism uh, through on to high school. And I went to a Catholic school. It was a very good school. I'm actually very pleased that I was able to go there, not because it was Catholic, but because it was good. And uh, in the way that every public school should be good. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I went through religious education. I attended mass. I did the whole thing, whole thing, whole thing. Um, I then left and lapsed uh, uh, later, actually quite a bit later, but later. But that process had begun already, and as it does for many. So at best, it's a rear guard action. And I think my experience is far from unique, and so is yours. Um, but the school has an interest in fighting it anyway. And so there's that side. And then, of course, there's the material side of there's an awful lot of money and resources mm-hmm. and jobs that people are fighting for. And as a species, we are loss averse, right? This is something that's been proven by psychologists, most notably Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, who did a series of experiments on this and say, you know, human beings are more likely to want to prevent losses than to, you know, chase gains. My dog agrees. She's very excited about this issue too. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm slightly I, more excited that I'm not paying attention to her. But but so, you know, so yeah, yeah. You, you give something to someone. Say you give a dog a bone. Let's use Sam as an example because she's not allowed to have bones anymore uh, okay. because you give a dog a bone and you try to take it back. God help you, right? And that's right, why right. Sam's not allowed to have bones anymore. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, so it becomes much more difficult to take something back once you've given it, obviously. And, and I think fundamentally it boils down to this is that, you know, regardless of what the, what the Catholics are, 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 are manning, whether or not Catholics are managing to preserve Catholicism is, I think, secondary to the issue of you've given them something and by God, you're not going to get to take it back. I, I see your point and I understand what you're trying, what you're saying. I always have an issue with this though, because I never talked to anyone who wants anyone my age or anyone with kids in the system in the catholic system that are are actively trying to preserve the catholicness of it the more more and more parents i talk to who say oh i ask like why did you pick this school or this system over the publicly funded one it came down to the fact that there the the catholic schools were no, no notably just better quality and by that i mean they had more funding per capita for students. So you, you, the, the textbooks were better quality. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the schools, you know, had a fresh coat of paint on it, like that, that kind of stuff that you got a sense that you're getting a, a, a more bang for your buck. And the religious side came, came secondary to, it was more, that was more like a necessary evil. And it, I, I, so I, I, I don't like, I, I, so I always question like, what if they took it away? And I find more and more parents saying, yeah, one day they, they will. One day they're going to take it away, but they're also conceded to the fact that if they did take away the public, that Catholic, the Catholicness of the of that school, the school itself can't go away. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the we still have the same number of students, and we're still going to need the same number of teachers to teach those students. Um, there might be some closures where there's duplication. I can think of a few schools in my in my town of uh, Burlington, but I think for the most part, like we're not you're not going to see a big change. Just you know, closing up a few board offices around the province, and the uh, maybe a dropping of a religion class from the curriculum. Oh yeah, no, no, I think you're right. And when I'm talking about that sort of risk aversion, that desire to hold on to something, um, that's baked into the institutional element, and the okay. Catholic rearguard bit is baked into the the true believers, right? Of which mm-hmm. there are many in the Catholic system, mm-hmm. uh, at the trustee level, at the board level at the level of administrators and uh, teachers and support staff and custodians and, and right on up to the level of of the Vatican right it is a big transnational network that is full of true believers 
although not everyone is. Um, so there's, there's a couple of competing interests there, both material and, and spiritual, self-interested and, and ostensibly other interested or, or you know, not narrowly self-interested. But for the parents' side, there's certainly parents who, who want their kids to go to Catholic school because it's religious. Mm-hmm. But I think for many of them, the first concern is the quality of education. Right. And and but that is the that is the empirical question I think is most important was okay, well, if, if we were to do away with these schools to have a more inclusive single public education system, could we maintain or even grow the quality of public education in Ontario? Now, my hypothesis is that we could grow it and make it more inclusive at the same time. Uh, if that's wrong, I'd be willing to, to revisit my approach, but I don't think it's wrong. Yeah, I, 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 my inclination is to say that's the case. More money going into one system, I think, is the, the way to go. Yeah. Um, but I, I do find your, your assertion... Of, I find I'm arguing with you for no really good reason, but you know it makes for a good podcast. But your <laughs> sure. assertion, your assertion of there's too many vested interests, and I, I do question that only because when we were covering the the Halton Catholic pride flag debate, and I would point out probably as well this the the York Catholic pride flag debate. I know for a fact like a number of parents wanted referred to the diocese to the to the local the bishop. To say, can can we get a ruling? You know, what does the church officially say on this matter? And every time the church kind of said, just said nothing. Just there was no there was no response. I thought, if you're looking to now, part of me, I, I took that as an inclination of they were smart and they realized, no, if we start saying um, the LGBTQ plus community has no place in our schools, the the march to secularization would you know be a foot on the gas pedal. Uh, so to speak. So I think they kept their, their, their mouth shut on that. But also the fact that they weren't able to say anything tells me like they they kind of know that the, the, the march is going towards more secularization. And it's kind of this quiet uh, remittance to that, to that notion. More secularization and also liberalization, right? Yes, yes, yes. And, and this reflects a sociological and spiritual battle that's happening both uh, socially in, in Catholic communities and beyond them and within the Catholic church itself. Now, I don't want to overstate the case, but you you could, as rough types, draw parallels between that and the, the last two popes. You know, very famously, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, who had later become Benedict XVI and then later Pope Emeritus, said the equivalent of, um, you know, better a church of of one than a church that ignores its doctrine. And, you, you know, as head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and a staunch Orthodox Catholic, mm-hmm. that approach was, no, no, we need to protect what is fundamentally Catholic and a very conservative reading of scripture. And then there's no sort of space for giving that up. If we give that up, what's the point? So that's where you would get the the sort of descendant of that is, okay, we're not going to raise the pride flag at schools and we're not going to have ally um, right. clubs and so on and so forth because it's it's contrary to our doctrine. The, the new Pope, Pope Francis, has a, has a slightly more liberal approach to these things that reflects the changing times. It's not exactly <laughs> liberal as we conceive of it, but certainly more liberal than the last vote. And that struggles ongoing in the church. And I think it's ongoing all the way down to the level of individual schools and boards because they do take different approaches because some flag school boards 
um, do fly the flag. Some schools, mm-hmm. many schools do fly the flag. Schools now have to have the, uh, these clubs, but some of them welcome it, right? Mm-hmm. And they are openly accepting because they are more liberal. And uh, and then some don't. So th- that struggle is ongoing and it's been ongoing for in, in some iteration for a very long time. I would also add to that, I think a great deal, many of kind of on the ground Catholics, at least, you know, this is all anecdotal. I don't think anybody's actually done a study on this. So I don't have any data to back it up, but it's all anecdotal on my front. Um, is I think the recent, the confirmation of, of the scan, this, the sexual abuse scandals that the Catholic church had to face, as well as the uncovering of unmarked graves uh, across Canada has kind of led to this. I, I think any, a lot of people question, I don't want to say questioning their faith, but questioning the institution of, you know, how can you be preaching one thing and yet you've been doing this horrendous, horrific, these horrific acts institutionally for not, you know, at least a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And I think for at least a good many Catholics, they say, no, I'm like, why, why am I going to listen to what you have to say? Or why do I, why am I going to, to partake in what you're, you're describing as beneficial for me when quite frankly, like what you, you know, what you do behind closed doors is horrific. Uh, yeah. Well, the Catholics I, have a response to this and it's a very convenient response. And it's a response that we've been hearing for a very long time, which is, oh yes, that's true. A man is fallible. <laughs> right. Right. And it's like, we've had, you know, this is the church that had anti-popes, right? This is the church that had the Borgias. They have encountered not, you know, absolutely nasty, vicious, abusive, terrible, hell-bound Catholics before. And the response Mm -hmm. is, oh yeah, they're bad people. Uh, They may very well end up in hell. They haven't, uh, they aren't truly open to the word and love of Christ. And, you know, they'll get theirs. Um, but there are still there's still good in the church, and the, and so let's focus on that. Now, of course, in but the, the response is well. First of all, it's an institutional problem because it is it is institutionally prevalent, and the institution proceeds to cover it up and to support these folks and moving you know they move around abusive priests right. and they cover uh, the scandals and the abuse up, and that's you know, a fundamental problem of the, of the church, not of individuals. It's also individuals, but it is, it is an institutional problem too, because it's the institutional seeking to preserve itself and minimize scandal that commits these crimes as well as what you would think would be sins. But then they just come back and say, okay, well, yeah, but that's, again, it's just, we are fallible human beings and this is the sort of thing that happens. Um, So it's a very, very convenient argument, but any other organization who, who would try to do something like that, you would say, well, we'll tear it all down, replace it from the studs up, if not right. just you know reduce it to rubble because it's so rotten to the core that we are, we're not going to sacrifice vulnerable people to these uh, folks because it's torturous to do so. But the church is big and powerful as much as they want to pretend that they're a cowering minority. They're big and they're powerful and they have a lot of at least assumed political power. Maybe we could talk about this because this is also fundamental to the debate. There's an assumption that touching this is the third rail of Ontario politics. I, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to lead there <laughs> in our next bit because, uh, you know, in a, in a previous life, uh, I used to work for, uh, well, I used to work for the Ontario Liberal Party and I, I 
talked with people in the Ministry of Education at the time, and I brought this up. I said, you know, why, why, why don't we stop the funding of Catholic schools in Ontario and just fund one, one system? Like, why, why do what? You guys can change it. Why don't you? And the response every time was well, twofold. One, the Constitution argument, which I think we've kind of debunked um, uh, earlier. But the second one was a little bit more nuanced was the argument was the Catholics will rise up against us and we will lose power in the next election. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of said, all right, I guess so. But I also said, have you been inside a church lately? There's not, they're not really like filled to the brim of Catholics and the ones that are in there, they're, you know, they might only have like a year or two left. And I don't mean to be callous about it, but like, I'm being realistic. Like the, the, as an institution, it's not filled to the brim with, you know, young, vibrant, energetic people. And I, I'm thinking like, it's just, it's the, the idea that the Catholic, you know, the Catholic base, if it is there, is going to rise up and turf out, you know, whether it's Doug Ford or whoever the, the liberals or the NDP pick uh, next time around, if they do this. Yeah. And I, and I think, the voters are one thing. I mean, the sort of Catholic voters who will make this a voting issue and the voting issue. And the other thing is the institutional power. And I think it's one thing to say, well, we don't want to upset and take on the segment of voters. I'm like, okay, fine. I don't, I'm not super convinced that it's as big a deal as they say. Maybe it is. Um, but I think they look and say, well, we definitely don't want to pick a fight with the unions. <laughs> And if I were a teacher's union uh, and I'm looking at talking about, you know, one single public system and I'm looking and saying, there's an awful lot of people talking about efficiencies and saving money, I might start to get nervous and mm -hmm. rightfully so. This is something I haven't written about, but I have thought about, which is if we're going to do this, in fact, we're going to, to talk about doing it. We really need to be clear and we really need to do it in such a way that protects and preserves education funding as it is. And that any efficiencies, quote unquote, or redundant money that is taken or saved through, through eliminating one system is poured right back into the system, including maintaining, if not ideally improving the ratio of teacher to student. And I think if I'm a government, God help us all. If I'm in government, though, and, and I'm making a decision like this, I'm saying to the unions, this is a decision that's going to benefit you because we're going to take all of this extra capital infrastructure nonsense we don't need, all of these kind of overhead administrative positions way up the board, you know, sort of well-heeled administrators who are doing just fine. They're not, they're, they're not teachers on the front lines. Uh, and we're going to put that money back into frontline education and to education workers, both teachers and support staff. I think that's a winning argument for the unions and, and for the province to say, well, we're going to, when we make the system more efficient, we're not going to cut. We're going to make sure that there are more teachers for students and that's good for everyone. Well, that, that's the thing is that, you know, you sit down and you kind of do the math. I, I haven't actually done the math, but you know, the students aren't going anywhere, right? And so you, the fact is you're still going to have the same number of students that need to be taught. Mm -hmm. uh, you still need the same teachers to teach them. You just say to to basically uh, ETFO and to um, uh, OSSTF, you, basically the corresponding teachers now become part of your unions. Like, And I think you could, if you're a government of the day, 
if you are able to sit down and negotiate this in good faith, Saint Oacta, Oacta the uh, the Catholic Teachers Union, you're no longer there, but your members are now going to be absorbed into these other unions. I think that would temper like the the hesitancy um, uh, of it. I, I, you're right. The problem is a lot of big plans like this. Um, the, the the announcement is made, but then all the details afterwards are kind of bungled. Well, exactly. Um, or you know, folks look at the government and say, "Well, I don't trust you." I, you know, it's the Ron Burgundy yeah. gif, right? I don't believe you. <laughs> well, it, and I'm like, yeah, I, fair enough, right? I mean, if I would be awfully nervous, especially when governments are talking, yeah. you know, sort of austerity governments are talking about efficiencies, I would be nervous that you say, "No, no, don't worry, we'll keep your job." And then that doesn't that doesn't materialize because they're like, right. well, we can save you know x hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars. Well, we're we're just going to save it. We're going to just sort of plow that into right. paying down the debt or some or something like that. So I, I do understand the nervousness, but you you've got to do it in the right way. And actually, you know what? I would I would have to really take a minute and think if you said to me, uh, we we can get rid of Catholic education and make it public, but we're going to you know, cut all of these teacher positions in the process to save money. I mean, like, uh, I, I got to think about that. So, I mean, I, tr- I truly believe from a labor standpoint, you've got to protect the positions, which mm-hmm. is also going to, and, and indeed extend them, use that money to, to, to pay more teachers, uh, uh, hire more teachers, th- then you produce better education, right? So this idea mm-hmm. that, well, Catholic ed- schools are better, and so we need to ca- keep Catholic schools, this is a common thing. Uh, the, the counterpoint is, or we spend that money to make schools better for everybody. Because right, right now, implicit in that argument that, oh, no, Catholic schools are better, but also they can't take everyone is, well, you're shit out of luck if you can't get into a Catholic school, which you can't if you're non-Catholic as an elementary student and you right. can later in high school. Um, so we're saying, oh, it's okay to kind of leave all these students off to the side because these ones are doing fine instead of taking all that the energy resources and making sure that everybody is better, which is what I would rather do, while also respecting the fact that as a public system, uh, we ought to be maximally, maximally inclusive of all people who contribute to that system and who live uh, within it. Yeah, the other side that people don't take into account is kind of the overlap. I mean, if you go through any community in Ontario, a lot of the time you'll see a public school and then across the schoolyard is the Catholic equivalent because, oh, the back in the day, these schools were built when kind of Protestant and Catholic populations in a given neighborhood were pretty much 50-50. And so you just yeah. say, okay, they go, they go there. Over the time- Sharks and the Jets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> interesting uh, analogy, but pretty much. Yeah. And then, but over time, obviously those demographics have changed. I can think in my, in my home here in, in Burlington, there's one neighborhood that is basically the boomers have never left. And so the, pop, <laughs> the, the young families are not moved in to replace them. And the populations for two schools are mm-hmm. dwindling. And I said, they, these schools are, are 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 black holes of tax dollars, um, and I sound like a like a conservative here, but it, it is a valid argument. It's like, okay, but wouldn't it make more sense to just shut one down and send all the kids to the other school? And so that school now becomes full. You know, full. They are they're maximized uh, in terms of population. You sell off the other school, 
and you can turn that into, you know, hopefully socialized housing or, or a park or something, I don't know, but you sell it off and that money can go back into the school system to buy, you know, smart boards, textbooks, uh, Wi-Fi. I don't know, whatever you want to do with it. Um, but I imagine, and I got to think like this, this situation is not exclusive to the 905. This has got to be happening all over the province of just those schools that, yeah, the demographics in the neighborhood have changed and we really only need one school now. We don't need two. Oh yeah. And it's wildly inefficient to say, well, I know there's a school across the road and everyone can go there, but it's a different kind of school. So we're going to have to bust you over here instead and now you right, can't walk right. or bike ride to your school or walk your kids over to school in the morning because sorry that's that's a catholic school and you can't go there uh or you know and so yep. we're gonna go over here or it, it also becomes a, a sort of bad allocation of of resources at the at the capital level at the infrastructure level based on as you mentioned this this ancient division between well, I called earlier the sharks and the jets, which is just silly in 2022. So, I mean, there's again, it's a, that's a functional reason to do away with. It. So, I mean, I think it's a, the the argument to do away with Catholic schools is is good both at a sort of functional level and a, a, a symbolic level. Uh, I should say no, no, no I, they're both functional. I should say a symbolic level and a material level. Mm-hmm. And you could say to me. I have no time for the voucher argument so that I dismiss out of hand. We need a public system funded by the public for the public. So vouchers are a non-starter for me. But you know, look, if you if you want to have a private school for Catholics that you pay for out of your own pocket, uh, fine, whatever. That's going to be a tiny minority of enrollments. Go for it. Those things exist. Um, but if they're going to have a public system, it ought to be public for everyone. Well, uh, pri- uh, I think the only communities that would house a private Catholic system would honestly be Toronto, maybe Ottawa, but it, it, it they'd be ur- heavily urbanized, uh, uh, centers, uh, because that's the only people who'd be able to afford a, a fully, pr- a fully privatized, uh, education, uh, system. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd prefer those didn't exist, but I'm not, that, that's not where I'm going to draw my line, especially if it's, uh, you know, something that helps us facilitate having a better public, better single public system, which, uh, again, here's a thought experiment I often use Mm -hmm. to try to upset our tendency to rely on path dependence as a justification for current policy. And it's this, say we were to have a big constitutional convention, 2023, we're going to found Canada again, setting aside all the deeply problematic (laughs) layers of problems with that. The fact that we are a colonial state that sits on, um, quite a bit of unceded land and, and is based on the, the, the genocide of indigenous people. That is a significant part of that. But say we were just going to talk about education and how we design the education system from the ground up constitutionally. And you put the question to people, uh, okay, citizens, uh, residents of Ontario, we're going to have a, a system, an education system. You're in charge of it. How do we design it? no one is going to say, oh, we're going to have a separate Catholic school system and then we're going to have a public system for everyone else. That's just simply not what we would do. You would right. you would get probably uh, a convergence on the idea of a single public school system or uh, many separate systems, which would be a massive mess, but you get the idea. The, no one would settle for the fact that you simply have a public system and a separate Catholic system. No one. And I think that 
I guess my, what it comes down what it comes down to for me is that I think the public is on board with that. I think it there's a great if you ask Joe Joe and Jane front porch what's their idea of, of the, the two two systems in Ontario nine times out of ten everybody regardless of their background is going to say no we should have just one publicly funded board you know every, all of our kids Muslim Jew Catholic Protestant atheist whatever we all go to the same building we all learn one plus one equals two um and I find that I, I, what, this is a case once again of the political will is woefully out of touch with what's going on on the grassroots that they, like you ask any anyone running for pol for political office and they are scared of this topic but on the ground everybody says no there's you know there 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 should only be one system and everybody gets to go to it whether you're you're LGBTQ plus black native you know it doesn't matter we all just one system for everyone and i i don't is it just like a case like once again our our political uh class is just out of touch with what's going on on the ground oh i i think they're i mean in a sense they're in touch in, in the sense that they probably realize in their heart of hearts that the system is absurd and that people would be better served by a different one and lots of them prefer it. I mean, there is polling data on this. I, I haven't seen the most recent stuff, but there is data that exists and people sort of say, oh yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the Toronto Sun even once had a thing running, they ran a thing that was like, you know, people yeah. want to get rid of the system and have one. It's like, okay. So, so I know for a fact that someone like Doug Ford mm -hmm. probably knows this to be true because I have a feeling he's read the sun. So that's, that's for sure the case. I, I think they're out of touch in the sense that they, um, are unwilling to take the next step to execute and now that i think on it a little bit out of touch might be a bit unreasonable because i think this issue is important and i think people are behind the the reform but i don't think they care enough to really press it at either the sort of activist level or to make it a social movement issue or mm -hmm. something they've organized around or to make it a ballot issue. I really don't think it, it ranks that high, even though it should, right? And, mm -hmm. and I think that's part of the political calculus is that if everyone tomorrow said, this is my ballot box issue, so the next provincial election, this is the thing on which my vote's going to be decided, someone would, would probably come along and say, okay, then let's do it. But even the NDP doesn't want to touch this, right? <laughs> Because they're like, that's ah, a big pain for a little return. So the political calculus is off. So in that sense, I would say parties are very much in touch with the political calculus right? and out of touch with public preference. But, you know, kind of coming back, I guess, bringing this conversation full circle, initially we want to talk about the fact that uh, the York Catholic board said no to waving the pride, pride flag. We initially started talking about it because the Halton Catholic had a, a year-long contentious debate on the topic. Um Niagara police said that the Niagara Catholic board had a, a, a lock and secure policy because of a threat made against that board. And then I guess I'm saying like this, I don't see this issue going away and it seems to be focused. It's going to keep coming down to the Catholic boards. Cause I think that's where, um, you know, the, the, the social conservative right, they're copying from the American playbook and they're trying to infiltrate our, our, the, the public 
the the school boards to in 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 impose this agenda and i just i'm i'm just wondering if the public that public grassroots groundswell is going to start building up over the next few years because it, or maybe this is a question of the left can't get it back together on this on this topic uh as long as you know pride flags still be, be become an issue I think it is going to remain an issue. I, I do think, however, though, to return to a, a bit of the conversation earlier, that the that the school system, the separate school system, just strategically may adapt and sort of, you know, put some water in their wine to to borrow bits of an old story from their book uh, to try to head off growing public sentiment against them right because if they keep fighting this right. battle time and time again they're going to keep reading stories by people like me and you who say okay don't fund them and they're going to keep turning public opinion against them so there's a sort of social pressure that that's going to force them to adapt slowly for sure but but adapt nonetheless and if they don't give into that they're probably goners at some point because at some point it's going to raise to the level of the public just being simply done with them and, and wanting to say, okay, no, no, it's finally time to get rid of this. And the, and the political calculus might change. And then once it does change, that's that, you know, if you, if you do, if we do reach a critical juncture, we could very well decide to take it and end that system. So I think the church is going to be the, the church and the school system will be guarding against that, but it's, it's going to be an internal debate because I mean, that means trading off some of their, their approach to to dogma and mm -hmm. to doctrine uh, that that's their decision but um the left could organize around this in the meantime and i think they should but uh, the institutional party left ha isn't exactly having a great moment so i'm not mm -hmm. putting a ton of faith in them to sort it out oh I, i'm not either we if, if we've had a number of conversations uh and just the lack of cohesiveness of, of the left and how it tends mm -hmm. to eat itself over these issues. I, I would like kind of my last point on this. I do think, I, I do think the, the, the march towards the end of the Catholic school system is here. We're, we're already on it. And the reason why I say that is there's greater and greater push for a lot of these, these uh, legal arguments of, of to preserve the, the Catholicness of these schools, such as, you know, not allowing, uh, uh, non-Catholics to register for the school or to discriminate in hiring practices uh, to the schools. I, I want to say that, that it's not, I don't know of any cases legally, but I can see down the road that being challenged in the courts to say you cannot, despite what the, the Section 93 says, you can't discriminate somebody in hiring or admitting to a publicly funded school based on their religion or lack thereof. Uh, and I think at some point, somebody's going to bring that to the courts and the Supreme Court will no doubt say, yes, we would definitely want to hear that, that case. Um, in which case, once that happens, I can picture just, it's going to be like a wall of dominoes just coming down. Uh, because once you allow non-Catholics in, what's the point? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't think we're ever going to see a successful challenge to the funding but I do imagine we could see enough of a forced liberalization of mm -hmm. um, of the system that 
I mean, I already think the what's the point argument is compelling because it's so watered down already. <laughs> having having right. gone through it myself and then seen others. Um, but but you could I mean it's already, you know, you you can opt out of religious classes, Catholic yes. for instance, right? So uh, you don't even have to take religious classes. As for mass, we used to have a, a, a strategy for that as well. We'd hide in the bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, that, it, it happens now. <laughs> they used to they used to post teachers at the doors because yeah, 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 they yeah. knew that everyone wanted to skip mass and go and have a smoke or go down to pizza pizza or something, right? Yeah, so yeah, they'd yeah. have to. This is how this is how deeply Catholic the Catholic schools are. The point where you've got to police <laughs> students who are hiding in the bathroom stalls with you know their feet up on the toilets yeah. so they don't get spotted under the stalls, um, and then you know trying to sneak out the back door and have a smoke. I mean, right? I mean, what are we doing here? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'll. If we're going to swap stories at my Catholic high school, we used to convert the gym into a church. Mm-hmm, uh, and then, uh, but every now and again, you'd hear the side door for the gym, just <laughs> quietly opening and closing as some kids not, figured now's my chance to sneak out and go for a smoke. It when everyone's bowed the, their heads to pray. Yeah. You know, let, let, it, let us pray. And he hears, right? <laughs> as his door opens. The like, Lord must've moved through them. The Holy yeah. spirit. Sorry. The Holy spirit moved them. Right. And then out the so door. It's a, it's an it's an age old uh, uh, thing, and it, I, but I, what I find it's interesting. I, I have kids in the system now, and they're getting to the age where they do the sacraments through the through the school. Mm-hmm. And the number of other parents who are coming forth saying, "My kid's not even baptized. Like I, they got in because I've got the the right credentials to get into the school." Right. And I find that story becoming more and more prevalent. And I say, like. It, this it's not like the one-off like there was in some cases we've heard of some classes for communion and, and confession that there's just like an entire section of the classes no we're not participating mm-hmm. because i don't want to and you know i just want like I, I, it's kind of like you're fighting an uphill battle on on this if you're trying to preserve it it's i, I do think the trend is going that this it, it may not be within your or my generation but i'm I, my gut tells me the next generation definitely they're just gonna say no we're done with it um yeah i think that's just demographically true right i mean i mean it's like, all anecdotally i i really don't i the thing is i don't think anyone's ever done the the actual hard data research like no polls or anything have been done on this but it's just anecdotally like i, I talk to any anyone go to a church and you'll just say like no this is this is not it's not a vibrant system that is showing, oh, there's a definitely like a, net, a generational renewal happening here. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I mean, structurally, the Catholic, the religious population in Canada is declining mm-hmm. and the Catholic population of Canada is declining. So, you know, that that's just the structural reality. And as people age out, which is what's going to happen and they die and they're replaced by less religious offspring. That's going to be that. Right. So it's, you know, I remember hovering around something like a third, something like that. And, and I think right now, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think, you know, uh, unreligious atheist, agnostic, whatever is, is getting pretty close to about the same, if not higher. So, I mean, you, you can't, you're going to lose to demographics every time in the long run well i think we'll uh i i think you and i could have this discussion for another like for the rest of the day but uh i do know we're coming up on our time and 
we both have to uh, get on with our day. So David, I'm going to call it an, an end to this episode, but thank you very much for coming on to discuss this topic. I doubt it's going away anytime soon, um, but we'll have a link in our show notes to his article uh, from the TVO website for all of you to read when you get a chance. Uh, and thank you, David, for, uh, for coming on to the 905-er. This was a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much for having me. Wonderful. That's it for this episode of the 905-er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have have we we the perfect perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on on the Dean Dean Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts because Because democracy democracy is is something something you do. do.